Well, there are some good questions that we're going to talk about in the show today. Questions on transgender pronouns, questions on how to share your faith with strangers, questions on, let's see, what else we got here? Um, how much can you deviate from historic Christian doctrine before you are not saved? Um, advice on keeping your cool when people write rude comments. What to do when Christians are, uh, let's see exactly what this one says. Uh, where did it go? Oh my goodness, it's gone. There it is. Um, why is it that so many Christians, this person said, why do churches are corrupt when people, when they're supposed to be the people who listen to God the most? And so these are some of the questions that came in on Instagram, on social media ahead of time. And so that's what we're going to address as well as if you have questions here, we are going to address some of your questions as well. So you can always connect on social media. If you're listening to this after the fact, you can connect on social media. You can send in your questions for the next Q&A, which will be the last Friday of the month. I had to change it to 3 p.m. instead of 2 p.m. because I'm back to school. I'm back teaching on campus and I'm in class. And so I can't get home as quickly uh, as I used to just finish class and I could start by two. I can't do that. I got to drive home now. So it'll be three o'clock now from hopefully from now on, unless there's any other changes uh, where you can join live or get your questions in ahead of time on social media. And uh, and then we can address those in the next Q&A at the end of the next month. As always, though, uh, if you want to call in, uh, this is the opportunity. If you want to send in your name, you can text your name and your question to 714-989-6927. And then you can get a link to join the show live. Now, you can text that number anytime uh, now during the conversation if you are watching live or you can text it ahead of time for the next Q&A show. Uh, but you do have to be live in order to uh, join the show and to join the conversation, obviously, to talk at the same time that I'm talking. So with that said, guys, thank you so much for being here. My name is Ryan Polly. If this is the first time you've clicked on one of my videos, uh, this is a weekly show where I challenge you to think deeper about the Christian worldview, to know what Christians believe, f defend it well, and then faithfully live it out. And so that is the goal of my show. We focus on a wide range of issues from cultural issues to theological issues, to apologetic issues, because really my goal is to understand the complete Christian worldview, how it applies and, and help you live it out well and be a faithful ambassador of Jesus Christ. And so that is my goal. And that's what I do here, bringing on people for conversations as well as having some teachings of my own. So thank you so much for joining me. And we are going to jump in. Uh, so the first question came in on Instagram. Again, if you if I didn't make this clear, this is a Q&A. Uh, questions came in ahead of time. You can post questions. Oh, I didn't say this. You can post questions in the live chat uh, here if you don't want to join the show. Uh, so you didn't miss out on your opportunity from not doing it earlier on social media. You can post your questions in the live chat and I'll get to those as I can. I have some questions from social media as well as give me a call. Um, all right. So let's jump into the first one. Come, came in on Instagram. How far can we deviate from the core Christian doctrine before it becomes a salvation issue? If all that is required to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. This is a pretty common question, actually. And I think it's a really good question, but it also is kind of difficult to understand. It's kind of difficult to, to give an exact answer to. And so here's maybe a few ways in which I like to think about this that hopefully will help you understand kind of where the line is. Now, oddly enough, this also relates to the video that I did a few, about a month or so ago on if baptism is required for salvation. I got some pushback on that video where scripture says, you know, baptism saves you. It's baptism now saves you. And I said, I don't think baptism is required for salvation. I got some pushback, but let me explain why. And hopefully this will help. For most people, we realize that very little is required for salvation. 
right? So I want you to think of a, a scenario where a person goes to a church service, goes to a revival service, goes to whatever it may be, right? And here in California, we have, you know, the Angel Stadium used to get packed out with people uh, and, and a lot of people would profess their faith in Jesus Christ. And so let's imagine a person goes to this church service, they hear the gospel preach, they hear the, the gospel preach that you are a sinner in need of salvation, that Jesus Christ has come and paid the, the cost of that salvation. He's died on the cross to cover your sins. And that person professes their faith in Jesus Christ. It's a legitimate faith. They put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ and they devote their life to him. Now, if that person then on their way home dies in the car accident, right? The common example given is that person saved. Now, almost all Christians will say, yes, I have met some that say, I'm not sure, but almost every Christian would say, yeah, that person is saved, right? So we recognize they were not baptized. They don't have a deep theological understanding of the Trinity. They have not affirmed their belief in inerrancy or the doctrine of inerrancy. Um, there's a lot of doctrines that they probably don't understand that they have not came out strongly and said, I believe this doctrine, but we would say that person is saved even though they have not been baptized and done these things. And that's one reason why I don't think baptism is required. If we honestly believe that baptism is required for salvation, we should stop doing like a sinner's prayer uh, and, and instead be baptizing people right as soon as they profess faith in Jesus Christ. But we often don't do that. Now, some people might, but that's not as common. We recognize that it's a person, you know, you don't have to do the sinner's prayer, but it's a person recognizing I am lost. I am a sinner. I am in need of Jesus Christ. They repent of their sins. They turn from their wickedness to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That person is saved. And so it's a recognition of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, right? It's kind of that, the biblical meta narrative, you know, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God, the God created this beautiful creation. We have broken it. We have sinned. Jesus Christ came, paid the penalty of death on the cross, and that by trusting and believing in him, you can have eternal life. There's the gospel message. If you believe in that, you are saved. Now, this then comes in to play with the other doctrines in the next part of this question. So it says, how far now can we deviate from the core doctrine? We realize it's very little before someone is saved, but then what about as you go progressing on in your faith? Right. And so this is where the question comes in of like, okay, now what do you have to believe to be saved? And I think it's very little, as I just explained, versus what if you start rejecting things? Right. So you don't have to have a comprehensive understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity in order to be saved. But if you reject the Trinity, if you come out and say, I do not think Jesus is God, then you're not saved. Right? And so if you have a different view of Jesus, if the Jesus you believe in is a completely different Jesus than the historic Christian Jesus, the true Jesus, then you're not saved. Right? So there are doctrines that we recognize as being core fundamental doctrines. That the, you know, some may say the Bible being the word of God. Right? You don't have to have a full comprehensive understanding of the doctrine of inerrancy and have all the questions worked out about contradictions in the Bible in order to be saved. But if you start to grow in your faith and then you reject scripture, no, I do not believe the Bible is the word of God. I do not believe the truth of what it says about Jesus and his death on the cross and these sort of things. Then we would say, I think that person, I think it's fair to assume that person then is not saved. And so I think that kind of can help. Now, the, the, the issue is, and the difficulty is what doctrines specifically are there, right? So if you reject the doctrine of the Trinity, I think there's good reason uh, that you are not saved. 
But what if you reject, for example, like the doctrine of inerrancy? You think that there are some errors in scripture, but that the fundamental teaching is that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of sin and that through him you have salvation. Um, I personally want to say, I, I think that person would still be saved, right? The doctrine of inerrancy is not one of those core doctrines that if you reject it, you are going to go to hell for, for having that mistaken belief. And so um, that's, that's an important thing is it's hard to know exactly which doctrines. And so I think we can at least stick to the core of who Jesus is, who God is, uh, and how God has revealed himself to be and who we are as sinners uh, before God. Now, then I think the second or the last aspect maybe to address here, and I see some questions coming in live chat. So awesome. Thank you, uh, Adonis Jackson. Thanks for joining. Um, I think the last thing here is the difference between flat out rejecting a doctrine and then having an honest mistaken belief. Now, again, I think that if you're mistaken about Jesus, then then that's that's critical, right? And so if you're honestly mistaken and you believe in the wrong Jesus, I, th I don't think that there's salvation in that. Um, the, the issue, though, is that uh, what if um, it's just an honest mistake on something much more minor, uh, the age of the universe, you know, inerrancy, that sort of thing. Um, I think that there is some grace there. And so I hope this helps is I know this question is coming from the perspective of friends who are kind of going off into this progressive Christianity. And I did, uh, and I know this person uh, knows about Elisa Childers and I did the interview with Elisa Childers. If you are curious on her book, Another Gospel. And so Elisa Childers argues that progressive Christianity is not just the same gospel with a few minor differences that are insignificant. She's arguing that progressive Christianity is a flat out another gospel. It's a different Jesus. It's a different God. And so that would be enough of a deviation to reject the way God has revealed himself to be, to reject Jesus, uh, to, um, to say, I, I think that this person has deviated from the core of Christianity and, you know, possibly not saved. And so again, I think the big thing there is to recognize this difference between, uh, there's very little that's necessary. But when you start rejecting things, I think that's when it starts to get a little bit more complicated. Um, so I hope that helps. Now, uh, there's a lot of questions that just came in, um, and I'll try to get to these. It's, it's a little more difficult when it's just a, a verse, and so I got to look at these verses, and it takes a little bit more time. So I'll come back to those for sure. Um, the second question that came in on Instagram, why are there so many churches that are corrupted when they are people who listen to God the most? Well, I think the, the simple answer is that churches are run by corrupted individuals, right? that we are sinful beings that can easily fall into the temptation of greed or power um, or selfishness, uh, that Christian churches and pastors and Christians are not immune to this. Um, I think that is a simple answer. Simple thing is that we want to sometimes interpret scripture in a way that helps us. We want to see the world in a way that helps us. And that is why I want to stress with this question, the importance of having accountability. You know, I couldn't help, but as this question came in, I couldn't help but think of a recent passage that I was going over in my uh, Bible study a few weeks ago. And so let me pull this um, up. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse uh, 7, Right, so we're reading over 1 Timothy chapter 3 in the Bible study. And uh, the first part of chapter 3, as it says there, is the qualifications of an overseer, qualifications of a pastor. And it goes over a lot of qualifications there of being the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, must manage his own household well with dignity, keeping his children submissive, and all these sort of things. 
And then verse seven really stood out to me. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, if we understand the context here, right, the, the churches were much smaller in this time, right? The, 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 the ease of travel was not as easy back then when this was being written, right? So, so for today, many of us, we travel a long ways, 5, 10, 15, 20 miles in order to get to church. Uh, this is not happening in the first century. The, the churches that they are attending are close by, are in that community. And so everyone knew who the pastor was. Everyone knew who the overseer was, the leader of the church was, and they were involved in the community in a deep connected way. And so it would have been uh, crazy, right? To, to be known as the overseer. I mean, many of our pastors today can, can go into public and no one knows who they are, right? That's not like it in some parts of the world and, and back at this time. And so it's how do outsiders look at you? And this made me stop and, and at least reflect on what I see in our culture today. I think Again, this is not labeling all Christians. I think that often when outsiders, when non-Christians look in at the church and criticize the church, we are very quick to jump to verses like, well, Jesus said that the world would hate us because of him, which is true. Rather than offering a little bit of self-reflection and saying, is it possible that this person who's not a Christian sees something in me that I don't see? Is it possible that, that they can see corruption outside the church or outside? They can see corruption that I can't see because maybe I have been blinded by my scenario. And in my mind, I have to say, yeah, it's possible, right? And this is the same thing in any job. Is it possible that your boss can see something in you that you maybe don't see? And are you able to listen to that criticism? Do you quickly jump to your defense and say, no, 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 no. You, you just have it all wrong. You misunderstood me, do rather than saying, okay, let me hear you out and let me see if what you're saying actually has any merit. I think we're very quick to say, well, yeah, Jesus said that you would hate us because of him and we keep doing what we do. Almost like it's a badge of honor that, that people are attacking. Now, don't get me wrong, because I just finished in my high school ethics class talking about the persecuted church and I know that persecution around the world is very real. But the question I think that I come back to is, is it possible that they can see something that's true about me that I can't see? That maybe I have gone corrupt, that I have let my selfishness, my sinfulness take over? And for me, the answer has to be yes, that's possible. And so is it possible that maybe they're saying something negative about me because of my character, because what I'm doing is actually bad? Like rather than just them attacking me because of Jesus, right? And so that's where we, we have to listen to them and we have to say, okay, so what are they critiquing? Are they saying, well, man, Ryan, you are X, you are this, you are that because you are a Christian and because blah, blah, blah. Okay, I will accept that, right? I'll accept criticism as a Christian. But if they come out and say, man, Ryan, you are blank, blank, blank because you are arrogant and rude, then I have to stop and I at least have, to, I should take a second and go, am I? And maybe ask people that are close to me. Ask other people that I highly respect because some people just want to say negative things, right? Maybe that's when I go to my wife, I go to my parents, I go to my friends, I go to my coworkers and say, hey, do you see anything arrogant about me? Right? This outsider, this person said, hey, I was arrogant. I was rude. Do you see that? And be willing to then let people who maybe are close speak into my situation. And so I couldn't help but read that verse as the, over, as the qualification of an overseer. Now recognize, going back to this again, this is the qualification for overseers. 
you must be well thought of by outsiders. Yeah, they may hate you because of your faith. They may not like you because of your belief in Jesus Christ. But do they see you as a respectable person? Do they see you as a hard worker? Do they see you as lazy? As they see you as being arrogant? Do they see you as a liar, a cheater, whatever it may be? And is it because maybe you are? Or are they trying to just, you know, criticize the name of Jesus and, and the Christians who follow him? And so I think that's where we have to take that time and think about it. But here's the thing. If this is a qualification of, a, of an overseer who's held to a higher standard, as I don't think our response is Christians who are not pastors should go, oh, well, I'm not a pastor. Therefore, I can keep speaking in this way, even though people keep calling me rude and arrogant. No, if pastors are held accountable to this standard, why not us as well? Why should we not see this as well? And so there's a, a few thoughts that I have on this question of, of how do we respond or why are churches, why are there churches that are corrupted when they're the people who are supposed to be listening to God the most? And I think that's because our sinful nature can get the best of us, that we become clouded in our own ideas and our, our pursuit of whatever it may be. And we have to, please, we have to be willing to listen to that criticism. When someone speaks against us and we can't just say, oh, you're an outsider, you can't speak. What do you know? Well, God wrote the law in the hearts of all people. Romans chapter two talks about that. Even the unbeliever, even the person without the law has the law written on their heart so that they are without excuse. Isn't it possible then that they could see something that is true about us that we can't see? I think so. So uh, there's a few thoughts, hopefully, to help with that question as well. Um, let me jump to a live chat question here. Does Matthew 10, 7 to 8 imply that Christian books and resources should be offered for free? Let's read Matthew 10, 7 to 8. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without paying. Um, it's a really good question. Um, I, I don't think necessarily that this means that all Christian resources should be offered for free. And the main reason is, is I think that there's a difference here of, of that what they're doing, at least in my initial reading of this, what they're doing here is not, um, is not costing money, right? Um, so what we see it, when you bring up the example of resources and books is that costs money. And so the question is, is who's going to pay for that? Right. And so we have other verses saying the labor is worthy his wages. Right. We have verses of, of you needing to work and earn money to be able to provide for your family. And so if someone's job is to write, they have done a labor. The labor is worthy as wages. And so if we are expecting all Christians to give out their books for free, if we're expecting every, all these different resources to be for free, the question is, well, that person is putting in a lot of hard work. They're putting in a lot of time. Their, their education that they've gone into studying all this stuff, uh, if they're not getting paid for that, then they can't support their family. They can't support themselves. And then they're going to have to go off and get another job. And then they maybe won't have the time to, to provide the resources that we have. And so I think that there's an aspect of, of desiring to give it for free, right? And, and that's where there's a lot of Christians doing this. Um, I, I don't charge for my thing. I don't, I don't make, I don't charge for my podcast. I don't charge for anything that I do. Everything that I'm done is doing for free, but I'm able to do that because one, I'm working and two, I have some generous supporters who are able to help me pay for the ability to, to buy the software that I have. 
to to pay for some lighting and some some things to make this look good so that people will watch it. And so there is a necessity of of giving of our time and resources and finances for this. Um, and so I think that in Matthew 10, it's talking about, yeah, proclaim as you go, the kingdom is at heaven. Um, we should be able to preach the gospel without making people pay for us. No, I'm only going to tell you about Jesus if you pay up. Um, we should be involved in our community and be willing to help those who are in need without being forced to pay. But I think it's a little bit different uh, when, it, when the question that came in talking about books and resources is because those books take time. Those books cost money to produce. Someone's got to pay for that. And so uh, that would be a quick little thought there. Now, um, I don't necessarily realize you, you've re re put in a lot of questions. And so I'm going to kind of hit yours uh, sporadically throughout this. Thank you for sending those in. I really appreciate it. Uh, but we're going to kind of move on again. If you have other questions, you can join the call, text your question or text your name and your question to 714-989-6927. You can join uh, audio and have a conversation as well as you can put your questions in the live chat. Uh, so moving along here, uh, next question actually came in uh, on Instagram and it said, should we use transgender preferred pronoun and name? This is, I've, I've heard a lot of debate on both sides of this. And so um, I don't know if I have my mind completely made up, uh, but I'm going to share some thoughts and, and I think some good ways in which we can approach this. Uh, number one, should we use their names? I don't see an issue with using names. Um, most people I meet and they say, hi, my name is Bob. You know, I just, I call him Bob. If they want to be called a nickname, we call him a nickname. I, I don't see a, a, an issue with names. And, and a lot of even names now are kind of gender neutral in a sense, um, you know, where, uh, you know, it's Sam can be a guy or a girl. Uh, and there's even some more boy names. Like I was just watching a, a post by a friend, uh, a girl who's named Jordan and it's spelled like how guys normally spell Jordan. Um, and so uh, we see this a lot. And even, so, so names are, aren't necessarily gendered, right? And so I think that's for me where I don't think a name is specifically gendered. Yes, our culture has sometimes attached a gender to a name that, you know, Ryan is more common for guys than girls. But if a girl is named Ryan, then the girl's name Ryan, you call her Ryan. Uh, and so I don't see a problem with using the preferred name. Uh, we often do that. Preferred pronoun, I kind of go back and forth. And um, I, I completely understand the argument that people make that to use the pronoun is actually now affirming something that you do not believe. By calling a biological girl, by calling a biological woman, he, you are making a statement that is masculine. And I understand why some people say, I'm not, I, I'm not willing to do that. Um, I also fully understand the other side, which says, I, I don't want to create this barrier that keeps me from being able to to love my friend. Um, and I'm willing to say he in order to get into these conversations, to have that relationship. And I say, I, I get that. I completely get that. Um, I feel a little bit uncomfortable with using a preferred pronoun. I would because I, I do fall a little bit more on the side of that seems like I'm affirming something that I don't believe. And I don't, and I want to, to allow myself and others to be true to their conscience. Right? Freedom of conscience, as I even talked about in the episode last week with Neil Harden, is this idea of freedom of conscience. And, and, and to, to force someone to say something that they don't believe is, is making them lie. 
And so I want to try to defend this idea of the freedom of conscience. Uh, and that's why I say this is kind of a conscience issue. And I know some people that say, look, my conscience isn't against this. I think I can use the preferred pronoun, but then you do it in a way to, to, to be in that relationship and have that conversation. I go, awesome. If that's what your conscience leads, I don't, I don't think that there's a, a right way, one way or another. Now, I think a, a middle ground is um, the interview that, I, again, was referenced in the show last week. It was Sean McDowell. I had an interview um, with a doctor who had, had a conversation on transgender athletes. And one thing I noticed is that he, the, the doctor that was being interviewed, always used like uh, person, uh, individual um, those were the, the ways in which he spoke is, hey, this person is this or this individual did this or he just used their name um, and, and would just call them by their first name. And so I think that to me, I think that's a very reasonable thing that we can do is we can talk about people. Oh, yeah, this individual said this. This person said this. And maybe go away from the gender pronouns. Again, I recognize the point also that people bring up is that generally speaking, you're not using pronouns for someone when you're talking to them. Uh, hey, you know, this person, you know, you're saying, hey, Bob, hey, Susan, hey, Sally, you're, you're just using their name. Uh, it's only when you're talking about them uh, that you would need to use that pronoun. And then you could even sit and say, oh, yeah, Bob was saying this when you're talking about Bob. I don't see why that would be a problem. And especially if I am saying for me personally, I don't see an issue with using that preferred name. Um, now, another thought I had as I as I saw this question come in, I was thinking about is this idea of like using they. And um, I don't, let me put it this way, I, I don't push against this as much as maybe others might because I realize I caught myself doing this myself. So for example, there are times where I tell a story about a student to my students. Now, maybe it's like a former student who graduated a few years earlier, but I don't want to give away like any information about the student. And so I'll say, I had a student who graduated a few years ago. And I don't want to keep saying, now this student said this, and the student said this, and the student said this. And so I'll tell the story. I'll say, okay, I had a student who graduated a few years ago, and they said this, and they came to me and said this. And I'm using they in that singular sense. And so I go, hey, um, this, you know, I don't see a problem with using they in the singular sense because I do this. Now, where it gets confusing is if you're talking about multiple, multiple people. So uh, I was hanging out with 10 people and they said this and then he said that. It's like, wait, who's the they? Right. If you're using the they in a singular sense when you're talking about multiple people. So that's where it can get very confusing. Well, now you're talking about a group of three people and they said this. It's like, well, which who who did? Uh, that's where it can get very confusing. If the context is just a singular person, um, I've used they, maybe it's inappropriate because I'm, I'm trying to conceal the gender of that student. And so um, I don't see as big of a problem as you as doing that as others may see. Um, so I think that's a hard issue uh, when it comes to gender pronouns. I think it's kind of up to the conscience. Um, I would have a difficult time using the preferred pronoun. And so I would lean towards saying uh, the individual said this or this person or just using their name. Now, if then they came to me and said, you have to use my pronoun, then I would hopefully be able to get into a little bit of a better conversation with them and say, why, why do you think it's okay to, to force me to, to say something I don't believe? Like, and I would want to try to have that kind of worldview conversation with the person. If they're coming to me saying, no, I don't want you to just use my preferred name. I don't want you to just use uh, a kind of a non-gender person or the individual. You have to use my pronoun. Um, I hope that I would have that better conversation with them. Uh, but if it's not being forced upon me, 
I would probably go the other route and just using those different, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Those different words to refer to the individual. Um, wonderful. Uh, good. Some more questions are coming in. So let's, let's actually do a quick one. So this one actually came into my last, uh, live stream, live Q and a, but I did not have a chance to address it because my live stream cut out, which by the way, I have now hardwired my computer with internet. So no more Wi-Fi reliability issues. And so hopefully that problem has been solved for good. But the question is what made me grow my beard? Well, this has a very simple answer. Um, I don't like shaving and it was about Christmas time. And I looked at my wife one day, I was like, Hey, should I cut it off? Cause normally she's like, yeah, shave. And uh, she's like, Hey, let it, let it grow. See what happens. And that was it really. That's all that it is. Now, most likely the next time you see me, all my hair will be gone. I, <laughs> I was somehow talked into by a group of high school students to raise money for their fundraiser that if they raise certain amounts of money, then certain teachers would have to shave their heads. And of course they raised like $4,000 and for every $1,000, a teacher has to shave their heads. 16 teachers volunteered to have this happen. And I was the first teacher to get picked. And so coming into work this next week, I will have to shave my head. Um, so I will look slightly different in that sense, but the beard really has no reason. I just don't really like shaving. I thought, Hey, what if I grow it out? My wife said, go for it. So I went for it. Um, all right, so let's keep going through our list. A lot of good questions coming in. Um, let's see if I can answer you. Adonis, I will go to Adonis. I don't know if I'm saying your name correctly. Sorry about that. Adonis Jackson. Let's see if I can go to your second question. Uh, when was Matthew 16, 28 fulfilled? All right, so let's jump over here to Matthew 16, 28. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Yeah, so this is um, this is a difficult passage. And, I, and I've thought a lot about this. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head here because it's been a while and I don't want to just jump into saying something quickly and then go, oh, hold on a second. I... Um, I generally have lent, leaned towards this idea of um, of the destruction talked about in Matthew of uh, of the destruction of the temple in AD 70, uh, that some of them were seeing that. Um, I think that you could also argue this being the transfiguration of Jesus, right? To take up your cross and follow, you know, this, this idea, like take up your cross, follow Jesus. And we see the coming of the kingdom, Jesus risen from the dead, ascending into heaven. Many of them which saw that. And I think, you know, maybe you can argue for that perspective as well in that immediate context. Um, I wish I had more to say on this. Maybe I, let me put in a little bit more thought on this uh, because it's been a while uh, before I think I've really gone into depth into the fulfillment of this. But I think there's definitely um, uh, aspects of this that I think are are relevant to the destruction of the things that we'll see in, you know, um, in AD 70, the destruction of the temple, as well as the ascension of Jesus. Um Actually, let me go to your second question, Adonis, here, because I think this is relevant to what we talked about before. Uh, you asked here, if I can bring up the second one, does scripture prohibit women from being deacons? Now, uh, oh, that's not where I'm supposed to do that. There we go. Um, this comes right after what we were talking about of the qualification of, of overseers. Um, I don't see a prohib prohibition of women being deacons. Um, for one reason is here's the qualifications of a deacon. And 
it says must be dignified, double-tongued. It gives a lot of the qualifications similar to the qualifications of the elder. Um, and then it says, let their wives likewise be dignified, not slanderous, be sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, if you if you look at that, the Greek that is, is used there, um, it talks about, let me pull this up really quick. I have my notes. This can be interpreted, the wives of the deacons, so let their wives. It can also be, translated, let the women deacons or the women who assist the deacons. And so I think we see it's likewise is a new category of what we just saw. Likewise, let the women, it's possible, let the women there um, be dignified, not slanderous, not sober-minded, faithful in all things. Then let deacons each be the husband of one wife. And then now we're talking about the husbands again. And so I don't see the, the, the same restriction as far as women deacons as uh, the arguments given in the first section of First Timothy uh, for women elders. And so I don't see that same prohibition, um, especially if uh, in verse, uh, where is that? In verse 12, no, just kidding, verse 11, it's not necessarily the wives of deacons, but can be translated in the female deacons. So uh, there's a few thoughts there on that passage. Hopefully that helps a little bit. Um, all right, let's keep moving forward to our next question. What advice can you give for keeping your cool when people write rude comments? Now, this came after I shared a few things about people saying, you know, what is this world coming to if this guy can be a teacher? Um, I'll just be honest with you. I'm not the best at keeping my cool at this time. I'm not. Um, I need, and so this is my first piece of advice. I need people in my life, my wife, my friends to be like, calm down, put the phone away, uh, just be gone. Right. Because I think there's times where we can spend so much time on social media and we can spend a lot of time on YouTube and a lot of nasty things are being said that it can really work us up. And so I think that there's just an aspect of just putting it away. And it's not like I'm trying to hide from it. It's not just like I'm, I just want to stay ignorant of what's happening. There's just, I think, such good truth of the need for the health of the soul and the need to to kind of protect ourselves in that sense. Um, and so that's one thing is I need awesome people in my life to be able to speak truth, uh, to help me with those kind of rude, excuse me, with those rude comments. Now, at the same time, when they come from non-believers, I'm not, I'm, please hear me. I'm not saying non-believers. I'm expecting you to be rude or anything like that. Um, but it's different than for me, the comments that really get me are from Christians right? Uh, when a Christian comes on and calls me false teachers and a heretic and a blind guy and all this kind of stuff that Jesus said, I think, again, kind of similar to the first conversation of we're really quick to point to the verses that say, well, Jesus said that they, people would hate me because of him, that you would hate me because of him. Um, and so we're okay with being jerks. <laughs> and I think in the same way, we're really quick to jump to the verses of Jesus uh, calling the Pharisees blind guides and hypocrites of the verses of Jesus flipping over the tables and to justify certain actions and behaviors that we have rather than what about the verses where the woman's caught in adultery and Jesus shows love and compassion? What about the verse where John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus? Hey, are you really the guy we're waiting for? Right? Are you really this guy? Well, John the Baptist is in prison. Jesus could have easily said like, oh my goodness, John the Baptist, he has lost his mind. He's gone crazy. He's now teaching false things because he's questioning my divinity. And he could have easily come out against John the Baptist for having little faith and doubt and all this kind of stuff. But Jesus responds and says, there is no man born of woman greater than John the Baptist. Think about the grace 
that Jesus had there, recognizing what's true, recognizing the circumstances that John is speaking from. And I think we, we sometimes forget those verses when engaging people in public. And so for me, the hardest is when Christians come after me. Um, and I want to go, oh my goodness, like, where is the love? Where is the compassion that Jesus came in? This, uh, again, that's, that's not disregarding truth, but where's the compassion? Where's the love of saying, here is a broken sinner. Here is, and they want to say, well, but you're teaching. And I get that teachers should be held at higher standard. That's what's often said to me is, hey, you, but you're teaching. True, I am. And I will be accountable for the things that I say. And that is why I spend so much time making sure that what I say is to, true to the best of my abilities. But I think that even if someone is teaching, it doesn't give us the right to just completely slam them. Is there ways where we can, like, I think, I, I mean, I'm a teacher. I mean, but I don't teach little kids, but think of a teacher who's a little, teaching a little kid. A little kid gets a bunch of math problems wrong. You don't mock them. You don't humiliate them. You don't slam them. You come alongside and you say, why, why did you think the answer was seven? Right? Two, two, two plus two puts 22. Why do you think the answer is 22? Oh, right. And this is the same thing I try to do with my students. Why do you think this way about worldviews? Okay. It's because you're starting with a faulty premise that this and this and this. And so here, let's shift this one piece. Or the question I answered for my students today is this idea of why does God send good people to hell? And it's like, yeah, that's unfair. Isn't it unfair to God send good people to hell? Yeah, that would be unfair. If God is sending a bunch of innocent people to hell, that is unfair. But why do you think people are innocent? Right? And And for me as a teacher, I want to come back to trying to understand why someone is thinking something so that I can correctly address their faulty logic, their mistaken thinking, and try to lovingly say, hey, here's where I think you might have gone wrong. What do you think about this? Have you considered this? Have you considered as a Christian that Jesus said no one is good but God? So why do we still think that we're these good people? And so that's the goal that I try to have. And so it's hard for me when Christians are writing these rude comments because that's what we see online. My goodness, (laughs) you're watching. This is too common. We are so quick to blast people online rather than say, hey, where are you coming from? What are the faulty ideas that this person has that's leading them to this conclusion? How do we understand this? And so that's what we have to recognize here. All right, Quinn asks, what does God think about gays? This is, again, a very a difficult um, topic because there's it's so easy to take someone's words out of context and, and make it say something else. Um, I think that there's a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of misconceptions um, that, that what, what we see around us. And so I think there's something very clear is that all people are created in the image of God and God loves them. God cares about them. God desires a relationship with them. Um, it, it's, it's common to, to throw out this idea that, that gay people are, are, are God's, for whatever reason, created them gay just so that he could punish them. And, that, and that's simply just not true. There's nothing that, that says that God is creating people gay and then therefore he can punish them. We see that God is creating good. There's brokenness that goes into our world, but God is, has sent Jesus to redeem us and to rescue us from that brokenness. Now, I also got a lot of pushback mainly from Christians on a video that I made about, will gay people go to heaven? Where I said, the determining factor of whether you go to heaven or hell is not your sexuality. There's nothing in Bible in the Bible that says if you're gay, you go to hell, and if you're straight, you go to heaven. 
And Christians push back very, very quickly on that rather than finishing the video and seeing how I clarify my statement saying, have you not read the passages? Those who practice sexual immorality and, and homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of God. And clearly, yes, I have read those. But what we see is that those who are saved, those who are saved are saved because of faith. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. It does not matter who you are, what sins you have done. Jesus Christ will save you. There's nothing that says if you are same-sex attracted, but you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You repent of your sins. You turn from a sinful lifestyle and, and commit to following Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, living holy sexuality that you won't go to heaven because you're attracted to the same sex. There's nothing that says that. What we see in scripture is that you're saved because of faith and the guilty are punished because of their deeds. That's, I think, what we see in the distinction. You're, those who are saved are saved because of faith and the guilty are punished for their deeds. And so um, gay individuals and straight individuals commit sin. And so I don't see anything in scripture saying if you're gay, you go to heaven or sorry, if you're gay, you go to hell. If you're straight, you go to heaven. Um it's not that. It's if you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, repent of your sin, commit to following him, you go, you are saved. And if not, you are a sinner deserving of eternal punishment. And so I think, what does God think about gays? God sees gay individuals and straight individuals, but God sees gay individuals as valuable human beings created in the image of God that he loves, that are lost apart from Jesus Christ, and that he desires for them to be saved, to have a relationship with him. That's what I would assume based on what God has revealed in scripture. Next question here from student work. What do you, do you believe God speaks to us or God speaks us outside his word, like a still small voice type of speaking? I had this conversation with Kyle Strobel, professor of spiritual formation at Talbot School of Theology a couple weeks ago, one of my last interviews. Yes, God does speak to us outside of his word. I think that's clear in scripture. God does speak to us outside of his word. Um, is it a still small voice? It depends on what we mean by that. And I like the way that Kyle Strobel put this is, is he said, um, it's not this necessarily still small, like, like I should expect to hear something, um, but he called it a, an illumination. Right. And that's what he called it. And so, and I like that because here's my issue. If I'm like, how do I know the still small voice is God? Right. So if I hear this still small voice, if I have this, this, um, I guess idea that comes to mind, that's how it's often presented. I, I, I felt this certain thing. How do I know that was actually God speaking? rather than my own desires, rather than my own intentions, rather than something else. Well, we have to compare that thought against scripture. And so then we look to scripture and it's like, well, if I have this still small voice where I say, you know, I think that God has told me or I, I, God spoke to me and he told me to make disciples of all nations. We go, well, that's written in scripture. That's, that's pretty clear. Um, and if you say, well, I had this, God spoke to me and he told me that I need to go kill a bunch of people. Um, we'd say, well, no, I don't think that was God, right? That goes against this idea of thou shalt not murder and the way that Jesus has called us to live. And so to me, it becomes difficult to know exactly if that still small voice is God or not. And so I have a hesitation to say, God said, because I think it's a very serious thing to say God said something when he didn't say it. <laughs> and so I don't want to take any, um, 
any liberty saying, well, God said, God told me if God didn't actually tell me. And, 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 and so then some people I think go, well, I have a feeling like God said, and I think that's better. But my question is why jump there? Now, this isn't always the case, but I think sometimes we go, you know, I had this feeling like God told me this. And it's like, for example, you, you see this at like a church service. Like, I have a feeling like God, God told me uh, that someone here uh, needs prayer for something. And so if that's you, come forward. This isn't always true, but some can hear that and think, well, why did you have to say that? It, sound, it sounds more spiritual. Why can't you just say, hey, guys, we really want to pray for people that have this certain issue that are walking through this difficulty. We want to pray for you. Why do you have to say, God told me that we should pray for this person? And so that's where I try to just be careful is I don't want to say God told me if he hasn't. And, and I also kind of want to stay away from this. Well, I think God said it. It's like, well, either he said it or he didn't. And we know that based on what's revealed in his word. So God absolutely does speak. God gives dreams. He gives visions. God speaks to people. God uses the Holy Spirit to illuminate and light our path. And so there's ways in which God is revealing and giving knowledge all throughout us. And I do believe that God speaks through other people as well. I just don't know if there's a way to determine exactly when someone else speaks to me, that that was God speaking through them, or that was just them speaking knowledge that they received in scripture and speaking to me. And so um, I a hundred percent do believe that God speaks to us outside of the Bible. Um, I hesitate though, if I guess this, I'm not saying it right to say, yes, it is this still small voice um, because I, I have a hard time knowing if that thought that I had was actually God or my own desires, unless it corresponds to his word. But then I just go, this is what his word says, rather than this kind of, I don't know, voice. Hopefully that helps. Um, thank you again for the question, though. Um, all right, let's go. There's a lot of questions coming in. I mean, my goodness, in the uh, live chat here. Um, let's see. Oh, hey, you know, Fish Hunter, you can call. Go ahead and call. Uh, you won't interrupt my train of thought. You pop in on the side in a, in a waiting room, and then, um, and then you, and then I will let you in. So, um, uh, go ahead and and call in. There we go. All right, Christian is calling. Let me answer here, and then let me put you. Um, I I don't know why, but I, here we go. Room green room. All right, Christian. Thank you so much for calling. Hello. I hope everybody can hear you too. I always think I do this wrong, but then it always comes through. Okay, so yeah, yeah. yeah. What's your question? Uh, so I have a neo-pagan friend, right? And I've been trying to talk to him about the gospel and everything. And basically he made the argument that uh, the, the Bible is just, it's basically historical fiction, right? And I'm like, okay, well, do you think Jesus existed? And then he kind of had a, a cop out and he basically said, well, I've been told that it's not wise to take to say either yes or no. I'm like, well, didn't you just already say that you didn't? So, I mean, it's just kind of like that. And then he's like, well, uh, yeah. And I don't know. It, it feels like no matter what I say, it just falls on deaf ears. And it's kind of frustrating. Hmm. Like, just how do you deal with that? Yeah, so, my goodness. I, I, I think that's a great question because this is the frustration of remaining faithful, having these conversations at the same time, recognizing that people maybe are not open and willing. Um, yeah. Now, I, I think that 
so for example, like I, I've heard comments before of like people talking to like Mormon missionaries that come to their house. And it's like, I've determined that this Mormon is not going to accept faith. Their mind is closed. And so I'm done. And, and they kind of write this person off. And, and my pushback is, man, you don't know. Like, I don't yeah. know how God is working in their life. I don't know how God is responding. And I don't know what it's going to be or when it's going to be that God actually opens their eyes and allows this person to hear. And so I want to, in my the best of my ability, continue to have that conversation as long as they're willing to have it. Yeah. Now, at the same yeah. time, at the same time, there's times where it kind of gets frustrating and, and I'm going to be a little bit more forceful and maybe kind of call them out. It's like, okay, listen, this is getting crazy. I bring this up and you completely reject it. Like, where are you coming from? And like, I want to really kind of maybe hold their feet to the fire a little bit. And if they come out and they say, I don't care. I don't listen to logic. I just believe whatever I want. And I, truth is not important. I think that's where you, you have the kind of the Frank Turek question, right? The question that Frank Turek, if you follow him, he always asks is if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And so like, are you on a truth quest where if I could show you that this is actually true, if I could show you that the Bible is true history, if I could show you that Jesus actually died and rose from the dead for the forgiveness of sins, if I could show you that this is true, would you become a Christian? And if they said, yeah, absolutely, I would become a Christian. That's like, okay, then let's have these kind of conversations. And then if they start to reject evidence, if they start to dismiss things that I'm saying for no good reason, I'm going to say, well, hold on a second. You said that you want to know what's true and that you would believe if it's evidentially true. And I provided good evidence for this and you just dismissed it. Why are you doing that? And so I'm maybe going to hold them a little bit more accountable. Now, if I say, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And they go, no. Well, then why sit there and argue about truth? Like, it's kind of a waste of time at that point. And so at that point in the conversation and in that friendship, I would say, man, I'm, I'm probably not going to have these conversations. Um, I, at least I'm not going to be initiating them. Like, he's a great guy. It's just, yeah. You know. Yeah. And so I think at that point, it's like, hey. I'm willing to kind of continue maybe having these conversations from time to time. I'm not, I'm maybe not going to initiate them. I'm going to continue to pray for him. Uh, if he's a friend, right. Continue to be that friend, continue to hang out. Um, and Hey, if he asks an honest question, have a conversation. Um, but I'm probably not going to be the one initiating the conversation if it shows that he's not really open to hearing, but I'm going to continue to pray. I'm going to continue to be that friend so that if one day that mind, his mind does get opened a little bit more, um, and, and you know, that I, I'm still there to have those kind of conversations. I don't want to write them off and say, well, I gave you two arguments for God's existence. You have continued to deny the existence of God. Therefore you are just completely ignorant. You are irresponsible. And I'm not having this anymore. Like I, I'm not going to do that. Because I don't know what God's doing. Exactly. Like, I, I make some pretty interesting friends. I've got a, uh, I've got a gay Buddhist friend who uh, claims that Jesus was a Buddhist missionary, and I've got a neo-pagan friend who's like totally out of it. And I pray for both of them. I guess you know, I, I think of them both as good friends of mine. So it's like, <laughs> hey, what can you do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I just want to encourage you to continue to be in that friend, continue to reach out, yeah. um, continue to have those conversations. I think being faithful um, again, I think, you know, the, the common apologetics verse, first Peter three fifteen, have always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is within you yet do so with gentleness respect. Um, you know, I think I want to be prepared to give a defense. And if someone asks a yeah. question, I want to be able to explain it. And I don't want to, I don't want to prejudge them and say, you're not willing to listen. And so you're asking, and I'm not going to tell you. Like, exactly. again, like, and again, I think also coming from the perspective that it's God that brings people to him. It's not the, the, the strength right. of my arguments. And so I don't know 
what the Holy Spirit is going to use in order to bring that person to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so for me to say, well, I've given my best argument and you didn't accept, so therefore you're unwilling, I think makes it almost look like it's my job and it's all them and kind of ignores the fact that God is also involved in this relationship. Yeah. That's kind of the other thing. I was like, well, I know I can basically lead them to the door. I can't make them walk through it. And it's just right. frustrating. Like, I can't imagine what Paul was going through, going through uh, Anatolia and just being rejected again and again and again. It must have been hard. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Right. And, and I, th- th- I think that's where like, my goodness, we look at people who like remain faithful in the ministry. Right. And you know, I can't think of the verse off the top of my head. It's like, do not grow weary in doing good for in due time you shall reap if you faint not. And it's like, when you see examples of missionaries, of pastors, of people that continue to press and press and press and for years never saw fruit of the ministry, um, but continued pressing forward, I think we look at that and we go, wow, that's, 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 that's encouraging. That's motivating. That's amazing. Because I think in our 21st century, you know, in our current state in America, we sometimes can be very impatient where everything is so instant and quick that if you know it's it's hard for us to build that that low slow that long slow haul can be very difficult and we don't see that instant response and we sometimes can give up too quickly and so um, I don't want to hear that from God that I gave up too quickly um, and so I know you don't either so that's my encouragement keep being that good friend and uh, keep reaching out and it's awesome that you are willing to have those conversations. Yep. All right, Christian, thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Bye. Awesome. Wonderful. See, it's not too hard, guys. If you want to call in, our time is running out. We're getting low on time or short on time. Um, But if you want to call in, there is the phone number right there. Uh, You can text your name and question to that phone number. You will get a link and you can join me just like that and have a fun conversation. Uh, All right. Another question here that came in in the live chat. Thank you, guys. This is awesome. I love all the questions that came in from all the live people. And again, if you're listening after the fact, you can join live next time, end of the month, last Friday of the month at 3 p.m. Or you can send in your questions ahead of time on social media. Um, All right. But our next question that came in here. um, Oh, let me get rid of that. That's the old one. Linda, thanks for joining. Thanks for writing this. Eddie, I see you too. And others, thank you for being here. My friend claims to be Christian but she has had her own belief. She lives with her boyfriend. She thinks that God knows her heart. She doesn't pray, go to church or read the Bible. It's sad. Um, Yeah, so not really a question here, but uh, I think this is what's so important is even going back to that first question of God knows my heart. Well, what is your heart? If If the role of a Christian is saying, I love Jesus, I want to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, these things are important. Um, and you go, no, you know my heart. I'm not going to do that. Like Then it's like, well, you don't understand, right? It's like the same thing. I go, I love my wife, but I don't like spending time with her. And I don't want to talk to her. But she knows my heart. She knows I love her. It's like, no, if I truly loved her, I would be acting differently. I would be doing things differently. And so I think, you know, it's so important that we recognize how our outward actions reflect what we truly believe, right? We always live consistent with what we believe, not necessarily what we say, right? We can say that church is important, but do you go to church? If you don't, then I don't think you actually think it's important. In the same way, I think we can say, yeah, it's important to love all people, but if we're out there kind of being a jerk and calling people idiots and and this kind of stuff, it's like, do you really love them? Like, what does this actually look like? 
So I think it's important, as, as you mentioned here, um, this idea of having my own beliefs. Christianity is not this relativistic thing where you believe whatever you want. It's believing in Jesus Christ and who he is. Uh, that is the point there. Um, all right, I have two more questions that came in ahead of time and we're running close to, oh, we're about to hit the hour, so we'll go over a little bit. Um, but the question here, and actually just kind of what we just had the conversation with, with Christian, of how do you casually share your faith with a stranger? That came in last time. I don't often. I am not the evangelist that is always out there trying to figure out how to share, excuse me, my faith with a stranger. Um, where I'm at is I want to make myself available. I want to leave my, I want to make myself open uh, to having those conversations when they come up. And so often for me, it's, uh, and I share this as on the airplane, uh, I want to sit down. And when I sit down, I, I say hi to the person next to me. And if they're willing to talk, let's talk. Uh, if they're not, I'm not going to force that conversation. I'm not going to say, Hey, uh, you know, this plane, if this cra plane crashes, are you going to be going to heaven or hell? Um, you know, it could get shot down right now. Like, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to say that, you know, some people is like, Hey, where are my keys? Oh, well, he, keys, but you have the keys to the kingdom. Um, you know, have you paid for your meal? No, but Jesus paid the price for your sins. Like, that's not me. I think those are kind of cheesy. If you do them and they work, that's awesome. But, uh, that's not me. Um, uh, instead I, I just kind of want to try to look for, for ways in which to get involved in conversations. And for me, it's a little bit easier, uh, when people say, well, what do you do? And I say, I'm a teacher. It's almost natural to say, what do you teach? And I say, well, I teach a historical Christian doctrine, apologetics and comparative religions and worldviews and a philosophy of ethics. And it's like, oh my goodness. And they want to have those kind of conversations. Um, or I, you know, I'm an apologist. I do YouTube. And, and so people want to know about the channel. And so it's easy to kind of get into those kind of conversations. And so um, I don't just casually share my faith with strangers. Now, one thing that we do, though, is I work for Maven as a field guide and we take uh, trips up to Berkeley and out to Utah where we'd get into conversations on the street with people. Uh, and there we have like a conversation guide. And so we have like a little like a questionnaire and we walk up and say, hey, uh, we're here uh, doing a religious survey. Can we ask you some questions about religion? And, and that's one way in which we train students when we go to Berkeley and how to get into religious conversations is we have these kind of conversational surveys. And so uh, those are some ways that we can casually share faith with a stranger. But one thing is just, I think it's just being aware uh, be, having your eyes open to see things. Uh, Greg Kokel talks a lot about this, of just being at restaurants and seeing someone's tattoo and saying, hey, what does that mean? Or seeing someone's name and asking about their name or and seeing personal things about people um, and, and allowing them to speak about that, I think is so huge. Um, so uh, last question I have here uh, that came in ahead of time. I actually came in for my wife. And so... Um, uh, my wife, if you don't know my wife, uh, Emily, she is here in the live chat. She's joined. Um, the question came in for her. Uh, if she could share some insights, ideas, and ways to be supportive towards the Asian community, because my wife is Vietnamese. My wife was born uh, in Vietnam, came here to the United States when she was about three years old. And so um, the question came in on Instagram for her and said, could Emily share any insights, ideas, or ways to be supportive towards the Asian community, especially the female Asian community, given the recent turmoil in Atlanta? It's been very heavy on my heart and I would like to learn how I can best be supportive. And so I asked Emily if she would kind of maybe write down some talking points or write down a few things, uh, some ways to be supportive or ideas and insights to give. And so she's given me a few things here that I will kind of work through. Um, number one, is um, she wrote down is ask how we're doing. Um, how does this affect us? Kind of what has been their experience? I think, um, 
I couldn't help, and, and I've talked obviously a lot with my wife about this, I couldn't help but seeing a connection between what's currently going on now in the, the race issues and if you heard about what happened with Ravi Zacharias, the, the famous Christian apologist evangelist uh, that passed away and then word came out that he has living a double life, that he was involved in sexual misconduct and sexual manipulation and spiritual abuse of women for years. And the first woman that came out and spoke against him in 2017 came out and said, he, you know, this is what he did and called him out for his sexual sin. And most people did not believe her. In fact, she received like hate criticism of rather than at least giving her the benefit of the doubt, maybe what she's doing has some truth to it, immediately slammed her as trying to take advantage of Ravi, trying to take down a big Christian leader. She was the enemy. She's trying just to destroy Christianity, destroy Ravi. She got like hate mail. She had to move to a different city just to get away from people to, put, to a place where people did not know her. And it wasn't for another three years that even more evidence that came out that most Christians now are saying, oh my goodness, Ravi was, was, was wrong. Ravi did evil things. Oh my goodness, I didn't see it. And I know for me personally, my first reaction in 2017 when I heard that is I, I, I quickly dismissed it. Okay, yeah, here's another person claiming, you know, crying wolf, so to speak. Uh, probably nothing there because Ravi, he's this amazing dude. Like, he, clearly he couldn't do anything like this. Kind of going back to the first question of, are we willing to listen from outsiders, from other people and give them maybe the benefit of the doubt that what they're saying is true? Or are we going to stick to our people, our side, our person? Here's Ravi. He, no, no way. Rather than saying, Ravi is a fallen human being. He could. Is there any reason to believe this person rather than immediately demonizing her and criticizing her? And... A lot of stories have been coming out uh, since this of just sexual abuse in general, uh, of, of women feeling like they, they can't speak up. Because here's, I think, the question to ask is, what do they have to say in order to prove their point? What do they have to say before we actually believe them? Because if they come out and say something and it doesn't feed meet this like burden of proof that we think that they should be able to have, then we quickly jump to the opposite conclusion. They're lying. They're whatever. They're just trying to destroy this person. And I can't, I couldn't help but see how that's very similar here of being very quick to defend our position. And, and, and I guess asking the question when it comes to like the Atlanta shooting is what kind of burden of proof do we need? in order to say, for example, that this was racially motivated. And I think here's the other point is, let's say, for example, because there's reports of what he said, that he did say that he wanted to kill all Asians. Let's say just for example, that he didn't say that. Let's say the shooter never once said, I hate Asians or anything like that. Does that mean that it wasn't racially motivated? Well, of course not. Right? The absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Just because you don't have evidence for something does not mean the opposite is true. And so I think we sit there and kind of go back and forth, and, but saying like, what, what would it take to prove this? What would it take to actually convince people? And is it possible that people don't speak up because what they have is maybe is not as proof as what people need and, and we're just going to criticize. We're going to just jump all over them. 
And we see this with, with women who are afraid to come out with sexual misconduct because they just get criticized. You're just trying to take down this person. That's like the whole Me Too movement. I can't say anything against this powerful Hollywood person unless I have this somehow this overwhelming proof because if it's just my word versus his, I'm going to lose this battle. I couldn't help but seeing that kind of connection here. Um, and so the first point uh, that Emily wrote down was ask how they're doing. How does this affect us? What is, how's, what has been our experience? Why can't we like, why can't we see this and say, Hey, how does this shooting affect you? Rather than sitting there and arguing whether it was racially motivated or not, why can't we look at someone who, as this question was, uh, wanting to understand specifically female Asian community, why can't we say, hey, how does this affect you? What has been your experience? What have you kind of gone through? And see how the person's doing. And maybe they're not comfortable to share their experience. Maybe they're not comfortable to, to express that. But I think a lot are. Number two that Emily wrote down here is use technology as a tool rather than total skepticism of media. We're often so skeptical of what people post rather than saying, hey, is it possible there's some truth here? And so uh, what she wrote down is watch videos of people's stories, of people sharing uh, what has gone on in their life and hearing the different experiences that they've gone through. Um, begin the journey of a secondhand experience. Exposure changes your perspective. This is another conversation I had with Daniel Carroll on immigration of exposure to people changes how we see things. And when we understand someone's experience, then we go, oh, wow, I didn't understand that. Now, again, what I'm not saying is that everything is just experience and that we throw all truth and all this kind of out the window just because of someone experienced something. Therefore, it's true. Right. Uh, you know, this is the argument that's often made of, uh, you know, what we see in like progressive Christianity is we experience, you know, the, the, the LGBTQ community. And then we dismiss everything the scripture has to say about homosexuality. Um, I don't think that's the case, but there's real times where when you experience something, what, even if it's secondhand, it gives you a better understanding of how to relate to the person. It gives you a better understanding of, of knowing them, of being able to talk to them and go, oh my goodness, I didn't know that. And I think that's the benefit. A lot of movies and a lot of what social media can do is that there are so many stories that are being spread that we often get so skeptical rather than saying, well, maybe these stories are just finally being shared um, and, and understanding that. And so use technology as a tool. Number three, last thing that she said here is help us speak up. This is the last point that she made here. Help us speak up. Um, I have a, a, a t-shirt for the pro-life movement that quotes uh, Proverbs. And I had it here as one of my Bible verses and I got rid of it. There we go. Proverbs 31.8. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. And this pro-life shirt says, you know, we need to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And um, that's huge. It's very healing as she wrote here, it is very healing when people speak up for the Asian community. Have courage for us to inform friends, family on social media, family get-togethers, when, when friends make comments, when family make comments, when you're hanging out, be like, hey, why did you, why'd you say that? Um, because oftentimes what Emily says here, she says, we, we don't speak up if the female Asian community is not going to speak up. And so who is going to speak up for them? And so... Um, there are some thoughts 
from my wife. The question came in from my wife of, of some insights. And those are three insights of ask how they're doing. Use technology as a tool to learn the stories and things that are going on and to help them speak up of what's happening. I can't help but also kind of compare this to an example I remember of of a couple that was dating, a guy and a girl, and the girl was saying how guys are always hitting on her and guys are gross and guys are jerks. And, and this guy like couldn't believe her. Like, really? Come on. Does that really happen? Are guys really that bad? And she goes, watch. And they were in this downtown area and she walked up ahead of him. So they were separated. So she's all by herself. And it was like minutes before some guy came up and started hitting on her and kind of being gross. Sometimes then you just experience that and you go, wow, um, I'm not as unaware. It gives us a different perspective on how we listen. So uh, there are some thoughts for you on that. Yeah. So a lot of questions and comments coming here on the Robbie thing. That was just, it was, it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking the way that he manipulated these people of saying that there was God's reward for his work and just the horrible things that he did. And it's like, man, it, it, what if we would have given that first person in 2017, the first woman that came out, at least a, more of an investigation? And that's what people try to do. It's like, all right, let's look into this Ravi. And Ravi quickly denied it. He created this story. And then we believed him rather than saying, hey, is it possible that he has fallen and we need to understand what's going on? Um, and so, yeah, my encouragement as we finish up our time is, is be someone who listens, be someone who cares, be someone who wants to hear the stories of people who have been affected and being willing to take that credibility, be willing to take that criticism. Like why, why do we have to feel like we have to so quickly jump to the defense of our side? And what, I all, what I've said many times is as Christians, we of all people, should be able to say that's evil. We should be able to call evil, evil. Like <laughs> that should not be hard for us, whether it's in the church and Christians being evil, whether it's Ravi Zacharias being evil, whether it's ourselves or our friends, our family, whether it's outside, it should not be hard for us to say, look, that is wrong. And to stand up for what is true and good. And I think it I think it gives Christians a bad name where we, when we can't call evil, evil, and we, we jump to defensiveness, where we jump to this, well, but I need to protect so-and-so, or we, we kind of jump in that sense. And so um, I think we need to call evil, evil. And then the outside world, and that goes back to, again, how, how outsiders look at you in First Peter 3, in First Timothy 3, when we can stand up and say, that's wrong, rather than trying to justify or explain away evil and wrongness. I think that's when the outside world goes, okay, they can recognize it. Why can't we? I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day. There are more interviews coming up that are being scheduled, more conversations happening. I hope that you've enjoyed this. Share this with a family and friend. And thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. So many questions came in, so many different conversations. Thank you so much for, for joining the show, uh, for sending in those questions and for making this a fun Q&A. Again, there's going to be another live Q&A at the end of the month, uh, at the very end of April. So I will see you guys again then, as well as other interviews coming up. There's going to be other things that pop up over here on the side that can be of help to you as well. See you all. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye, everybody.